as someone who's now running the media side of the National Lacrosse League, it gives me hope and inspiration that regardless of how things might be so sort of set in stone over time, the right content and the right marketing and the right promotion can be a game changer. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, diversity, entertainment, all different kinds of things. I'm Joe Favorito here at the middle to the end of October, 2022, um, at the Columbia University Sports Management Conference. And we're gonna do another of our kind of podcast at so we'll call them. Let's talk about another part of the media that we haven't talked about, which is content creation and distribution with someone who's been around this business for a minute, I would say, or two minutes. Uh, our guest today is Joel Feld. Joel is currently overseeing all the content production, basically everything outfacing in terms of media for the National Lacrosse League that has had quite a career before lacrosse. Uh, and um, Joel, thank you for uh, joining us for a few minutes. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Joel, kind of walk us through, I mean, from ABC to working for teams, um, walk us through a little bit of your career. And I want to talk a little bit about how content has changed over the years in your um, your estimation in the time you've been able to blend. Well, I was very fortunate to uh, get a job at ABC Sports right out of school and work with... Before um, the thing called ESPN came. Before ESPN came along. And in fact, ABC was a part owner of, ABC, of, mm -hmm. of ESPN back then. Uh, not looked at very kindly by the folks at the at the networks back then, but I was very fortunate to get uh, hired by Arun Arledge and the great team at ABC Sports, including Chuck Howard, Chet Forty, Dennis Lewin, who were really pioneers in creating sports television mm -hmm. and um, getting a job in the production area at the time where um, there were only three um, networks producing sports television, so it was a very very small. Uh, business back then, there were probably only a hundred of us in the entire sports broadcasting business, or maybe a couple hundred tops. I was very fortunate to learn from the very best, and I uh, had the opportunity to be able to do that for almost 20 years. So um, you then move on from there, team side, other network side. Where did you kind of go from being at the you know the Colossus of ABC? Well, you know, after being at ABC for 20 years, you know, business had changed pretty considerably. When I was there, it was still a family-owned business. Ultimately, it was acquired by Capital Cities, and the business started to become part of an important part of the dynamics, which it wasn't mm -hmm. when I was uh, spent you know, the first part of my career there. Um, we were, you know, ABC was known then as the network of the Olympics. It was really what we hung our hat on, was in addition to Monday Football and some of the other properties with the Olympics. And it became pretty clear that ABC was getting out of the Olympic game and that the business had changed. And frankly, I was, by that time, I was in my late 30s and I started to look around and wanted to do more in the business. I was interested in other parts. And so I wanted to get in, I wanted to learn the business side of the business. Mm -hmm. And so um, I left ABC, I actually spent a very brief time working for David Hill at Fox, um, then came back to New York and was part of a group that. Uh, started um, a combination sports agency broadcasting and marketing company called the Marquee Group mm -hmm. that had been um, started by Bob Kukowski at Red Madison Square Garden. So it was my first sort of look at not being protected by the ABC bubble and having to learn the business side. Mm -hmm. And 
Yeah, so it was a it was a great experience. Um, it was a time of the it was a it was a time in our industry where there where roll ups were really really um, the dynamics of the business at that time. Ultimately, Marquee got sold, and um, I got connected with uh, Chris Bevilacqua and Brian Beadall. Chris had worked for me as an intern wow. at ABC, and they said they were starting this new college sports network, and that I want to come help them start the network, and so. I sort of matriculated into a full startup business. And that was CSTV. That was CSTV. All right. So even then, obviously, you know, we'll talk a little bit about streaming and kind of the economies of scale that you kind of created uh, for lacrosse broadcast, which can now really be replicated in any sport. But um, what's been the biggest change and also the thing that hasn't changed from, you know, the days of wide world of sports and when Monday Night Football was the biggest thing and the Olympics to today where it's, you know, just across the plot, you know, all, all the streaming channels that are out there in niche sports and trying people to cut through and figuring out, you know, what's the loudest voice now? What's what's changed the most and what hasn't changed at all? Well, what hasn't changed at all is great storytelling. Mm -hmm. Great storytelling is still great storytelling. It might be, uh, it may be in different forms. Mm -hmm. It might be in multiple forms. Um, Back in the days of ABC, you produced one really, really great up close and personal, and it aired once, and that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. Now you can produce the same feature, same great story, told lots of different ways, edited lots of different ways for different platforms. Mm -hmm. um, lacrosse as a sport continues to be hot property for some people, um, a growth sport on, on the grassroots level. Uh, tell us a little bit about the time that you've spent with the NLL and how that property has kind of grown from a media standpoint to, to where it is today on the cusp of growing, you know, beyond a little bit of an edge. Well, you know, when I was first introduced to the NLL by the former commissioner, um, it was, I took a look at the commissioner and its public death and take a look at the property, um, such as it was distributed at the time, which was really almost no place um, and make an evaluation as to whether you thought that this could be turned into a viable me media property. Mm -hmm. um, in order to do that, I think from a producer's perspective, you have to um, make a judgment as to whether you think it's a good broadcast property. Mm -hmm. Not every sport is a good broadcast property, particularly ones that are challenged to generate and gain more viewership, like the NLL was, which doing a little bit of research, you realize that based on its history, it had a loyal, but very, very small fan base. I mean, if you were going to get, if the league was going to get the um, property, get the major networks interested in its distribution, it had to be viable and had to be authentic. And so um, if you look at the indoor game on television, looking at it totally, try to looking at it totally objectively, you know, yeah, there's something here. It's a it, it done the right way, produced the right way, with enough investment money, run business smartly. It has an opportunity to at least gain some traction. But it is a um, it's a long haul mm -hmm. in a business where people expect results very very quickly, and that's really one of the big challenges. One of the, the successes that's been touted in the industry on the long haul is kind of reimagining or reinventing the production side. You know, multiple cameras big shoots, very expensive to do live events. Um, how has that evolved? And tell a little bit about kind of 
the way the NLL really last year was uh, kind of lauded for the way production changed. Well, you know, it's funny. It was actually probably the easiest part of what my original remit was with the commissioner. He asked me to take a look at what was currently at the time being distributed in some fashion and make some recommendations. And I thought, okay, well, you know, there's a, it's probably a pretty significant challenge. You don't want to be disrespectful to what's happened in the past. We probably need to put together some sort of like 15 or 20 page plan. I uh, got access to a couple of links, realized that it was horrendous and wrote him a two page email, which says, blow this up and start all over again, mm -hmm. which is as a producer and as an executive, really kind of fun because you're really working with a blank yellow pad. And so we tried to take a look at um, what had been done in the past, what had been successful in other sports, recognizing that production, as my former partners used to say, could cost $10 to $10 million. It really depends on what you want, what the marketplace will bear, and what your business will bear. Mm -hmm. And um, so we had to put together a plan that could create enough authentic, quality, consistent content for live production for the potential distributors to become attracted to without um, getting the owners bankrupt or me getting fired one or the other. <laughs> and so you put together a, you know, fortunately what has changed is that um, our technologies have changed. There's more uh, assets at your disposal. Um, there's more ways to more creatively produce high level production at a much lower cost than um, people like myself were used to. And you, if you have a good team and you bring a lot of um, really smart people together um, and take advantage of those technologies, you can produce high quality television at a price that's not gonna break the bank. So speaking of high quality television and, and platforms that are now available, streaming, would love your opinion on so many streaming channels right now, trying to find what shows are on what platforms. They're here on a Friday. Uh, the NWSL playoffs, semifinals are this weekend, and uh, one of our students, Jillian Quinn, whose sister uh, plays for um, OL Rain, she was saying to me, like, I, I have to find a place to go watch it because it's on Paramount. I think it's on Paramount Plus. Um, over the weekend, I can't, my cable system, I, first of all, I don't have cable, but if I had cable, my, it's not even on my cable system. So um, your opinion of the streaming universe today, where you think it's gonna go, the good, the bad, and the kind of indifferent. Well, I guess my, as a consumer, and I look at this really as a consumer, it's incredibly chaotic. Mm -hmm. It's very, even as a somewhat savvy sports fan, I always think as a savvy sports consumer and somebody who's in the business, I struggle with trying to find what I want to watch on whatever platform it's on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that does a disservice, obviously, to sports fans, probably into the properties. You know, ultimately, consolidation is probably in the offering at some mm -hmm. point down the road. Um, a lot of leagues made deals with partners before they recognized what the consequences of those agreements would be. And they're probably learning now that trying to, uh, that frustrating their audience and not being able to find its most valuable content is probably a good business plan going forward. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, you'll likely see a lot of consolidation over the next few years. Um... Do you feel like it'll be the bigger networks or is it somebody you have your eye on from a streaming perspective who's kind of on their way out? Obviously, NLL works with ESPN, so you don't want to say anything more about ESPN, but is there someone you have your eye on, whether it's 
the zone, Paramount Plus, well, 11's gone now, so you can't use them. Be in sport. Um, anybody you think is doing both innovative and cost-effective at the same time? You know, that's a really great question, and I'm not sure I've got a great answer for you. You know, ESPN has um, invested a significant amount of money, both on the programming side and importantly, maybe more importantly, on the technology side to deliver a reliable, high-quality product on a consistent basis to its consumers. Hard to argue that ESPN won't continue to want to grow that part of its business, particularly as it sees its linear distribution start to decline. Um, you know, hard to, you know, CBS, CBS appears to be extremely committed to the Paramount Plus um, uh, uh, service, uh, but at the end of the day, it's really all about their appetite for acquiring rights. Mm -hmm. um, last question before we get to our last two questions, if you miss anybody, but um, looking back into your your history and the places you work and the people that you've been with, if someone was going into the production business at any level today, who would you ask them to go back and study? Is it a network? Is it an individual? Um, who would be one of those people who said, you have to go back and Google and read or watch this person? You know, I'm, it's a, <laughs> I'm very biased. I would say go read Rune's book. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, just you know, the 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 tree of people who he spawned. By the way, a Columbia alum, so that works out well. Yes, so. and and went to from high school and went to Kennedy High School in the same town. Um, all these years later, I would say that um, he his influence still all these years later is just as pervasive as it was thirty or forty years ago, because he understood and he taught us two things. One was two two of many things. One had to tell a really good story. And two, regardless of the fact that you are producing and directing your shows, your this sounds so easy, but it's really, I think, lost on a lot of people in our industry. You're doing this for your audience. Mm -hmm. You knew who the audience was. And this was at a time, Joe, when there was no data. All there were were ratings. It was really instinct. And it was, it was really instinct. And so I would tell folks to go read his book and understand that, well, data plays an important part in trying to make informed decisions. It's not the only metric by which you should be making your decisions. Cool. So last two questions. Uh, we have a lot of people who watch either transitioning from jobs, looking for jobs, starting new careers. When young people come to you, not that you're not young, uh, or transitioning people come to you, what advice do you give them? And then with everything on the television media business side that you have to ingest, how do you stay up to date with everything that's going on? Well, I'll answer the second question first. I'm a voracious reader. Uh, just try to read everything um, so that I can try to remain as, be as knowledgeable as possible. Um, I try to tap into my network of colleagues, both my age and younger to try to learn the latest um, things that are going out there. Uh, uh, so it's really about research and reading. I don't think mm -hmm. that's any different than when you're in school, just mm -hmm. reading reading and research. The first part of your question about what do I advise? Um, and, I, and I love mentoring people. I love hiring young people. Um, it's really part of the job that is probably most satisfying to me. 
I tell them to, um, to the degree to which they can be, be selective of who you go to work for. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when you're first, particularly when you're first starting out, um, everybody needs a job, but who you work for and who you work with and how you're mentored will um, play a large role in how you sequence your way through your career and be um, challenged and not learn bad habits. Cool. Last question, as you were going through that, I thought of it. Is there a property or a, a business that you're really keeping your eye on thinking that they're doing things a little disruptive and interesting that people should be following, that you're following? Disruptive. Let's say the Mets, obviously. I can't say the Giants, the yeah. Jets, or the Mets, huh? Disruptive. Wow, that's a, you got, I think you got me stumped on that one. I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is disruptive or not, but I have to, I'm really impressed with um, what Formula One has done over the last year or so. I mean, I, I had the luxury or the good fortune of covering a ton of Formula One races when I was at ABC. We did the Grand Prix of Monaco. We did the, uh, the Italian Grand Prix. It was part of ABC's Wide World of Sports. I think it's fair to say that it was a sport that has been enormously popular in Europe for 100 years or so, but never could gain traction in the U.S., and they were disruptive enough, perhaps, to find a way to be able to invest the right dollars and produce a documentary series that completely changed the game of the way that they are perceived and now followed in the U.S. Drive to survive. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. you know, for every one of those, there's probably 90 that fail. Mm -hmm. But here's a, again, here's a, and it gives, as, as someone who's now running the media side of the National Lacrosse League, it gives me hope and inspiration that regardless of how things might be so sort of set in stone over time, the right content and the right marketing and the right promotion can be a game changer. Joel Feld, a industry veteran on the media side, thanks for joining us here on the Cusp Show. And as the winter progresses, it uh, would be great to follow what the NLL is doing, both on the digital and the broadcast side. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Cool. Once again, you've been listening to The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host, Tom Richardson. We'll see you down the road.